Hey everyone, my name is Ivor Robinson. I'm the teaching pastor here at Restore. I'm just so glad to be with you all this morning. If you've been around me for any period of time, you know that I love to travel. It's one of my favorite things to do. And so if you're going on a trip anytime soon, know that I'm your girl. I got you. I can help you out with that. The best part to me of traveling is being able to immerse myself in other people's cultures and just getting to know like why people believe in what they believe in. I think it's a great privilege for people to open up their world and allow us to experience their everyday, their their language, their their food. And although I'm a picky eater, I do still like to try food from other countries. And so I think this has given me a great appreciation, not only for like the world, but for my world around me. And you don't have to go to other cold continents and other countries in order to um, have the same appreciation. You know, I was even blessed to grow up in a very diverse community in Houston. And so I had best friends from literally all walks of life, all ethnicities, all religions. And so pretty early on, I, I learned that, you know, I don't necessarily have to accept or agree with somebody's, um, you know, maybe faith background or choices or decisions, but it helps me to understand who they are. And I know that I can still love them, you know, where they're at. And one of the best things about my travel was, um, really getting to experience just different religions and different, you know, teachings. And so I was able to go into the Vatican in Rome and be blessed by a priest there and um, going into a mosque in Africa and just like marveling at the attention to detail and the art, you know, and all the work that's put into it and going into the Buddhist temple in Thailand, you know, once again, you know, going to these places that are sacred and holy ground for these people you know, some people would um, consider that to be an unclean place. And I think that, you know, some people would venomously disagree with even going into these places, saying that these places are unclean, saying that homeless camps are unclean, saying that places that Jesus wants us to go to meet people where they are is unclean <clears throat> just because it's different from what we know to be true in our own faith background. You know, and because we go into these places, sometimes people question the validity of our relationship with Jesus. And I think this kind of goes to this uh, conversation that Zach had a few weeks ago about the rise of the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, the people who are increasingly believing in nothing. That group is growing exponentially. You know, people are believing that they can be uh, good without God that they've grown up and they've been in an environment where they know what is good versus what is evil and they can make the right decisions without Jesus, not understanding the deep need to know him. You know, he becomes an option rather than a necessity. And so there's also a group of people, a group of believers who are so busy. You know, I, I, was, I grew up playing sports on, on most Sundays that they don't make it to church. And so they're like, can I love God on all the other days of the week and still be, be a believer? And I'm like, yes, yes, you can. But God is calling us into something more. God is calling us to be in fellowship with one another so that we can uplift each other, so we can challenge each other, and so we can carry each other's burdens. And so what we do know is that the community is not limited to the four walls of the church. But inside and outside the walls of the church, God is not calling us to perfection, but he is calling us to inclusion for all of God's people and a heart for those who don't know Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, like, what does our heart break for? Does our heart break 
the way that Jesus' heart breaks for the marginalized, for the lost, for the broken, for the hurting? Are we continually fighting as Jesus did for justice and for truth? You know, he didn't pick and choose um, the places that he went based on his convenience, but he did it based on his selfless love for all of his people, for all the nations. And so we ask ourselves, does our heart break for the marginalized the same way that Jesus' heart breaks? Does our heart break for the lost and for the hurting? And you may say to me, that is me. I am lost. I am hurting. So how can God use me in my brokenness? How can God use me in my doubt? What if I don't know the special prayer to lead people to Jesus? Don't worry, you're in good company. I think that we're all, um, we all get into this notion of sharing our faith that is about sharing scripture and scripture alone. But I think that's where the enemy creeps in and keeps us from doing God's work. In order to share in the things that we care about, which is what God is challenging us to do, we have to do it in love. Has anyone asked, you know, hey, you want a bite of this? Uh, do you want a piece of this? And they're like, no, no, I'm good. And then you get down to like the last portion and they're like, hey, I changed my mind. Can I have a bite of that? And you're in this like serious conundrum because you're like, oh my gosh, like this is, I asked you earlier and you said you didn't want anything. And so the whole thing is that we have to prepare our hearts to give away the things that we love. In order to prepare our hearts, we have to continually speaking life over ourselves and into ourselves through tough situations. And this will help us to do the same for other people. And so the vastness, you know, of God continues to be unknown, but who God says we are over and over and over again has been reiterated in scripture. And so why does this matter? Because even in our brokenness, even in our doubt, even when we're hurting, God is going to call us and commission us to do hard things. To go even when we have fear. And to have movement. You know, even when we just want to stay in the comfort of our own brokenness, God is going to call us for more. And so there are going to be circumstances where things are not going to feel right and we're going to feel like we aren't enough and we're going to feel like, you know, we're going to question and we're going to doubt. But God is still going to ask of us to go. And so the circumstances around the Great Commission, which is what we've been talking about, is, uh, you know, Matthew is writing, Matthew writes this letter, that, or sorry, this book, and so he's speaking to the Jewish um, Christian community. And they're being pushed out of, of their community, the things that they've known. And so they're completely uncomfortable, you know, where they're at. And so they're being led by these Pharisees who are teachers who have assumed um, the, the role of rabbi after the aftermath and destruction of Jerusalem. And so going back to this being a largely Jewish audience, Matthew starts the book by chasing the genealogy of Jesus. And so he goes back to David. He goes back to Abraham, proving that he is, in fact, a Jew. But something really important here is that as he's tracing the genealogy, he includes four mothers. Those mothers are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Those mothers have Gentile blood running through their veins. And so that means that Jesus also has Gentile blood running through his veins. 
And so this is interesting here because there's an argument in the Jewish community whether or not the Gentiles are, are clean and able to be loved by Jesus the same way. And so there's this continuous argument of clean versus unclean throughout the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And this is a, this is a fundamental argument that we even see today. You know, are people, are all people able to be disciples of Jesus? There's the argument of who is able to spread the good news and who is not, who was commissioned to go and who is not. And so as we continue to talk through the and study the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, um, I want to talk about the definition of commission. And the first thing that I came up with was a fee paid for services, usually a percentage of the total cost. But we know that Jesus, he paid it all. And so I kept it moving. And so definition under A was the act of granting certain powers or the authority to carry out a particular task or duty. The authority and B was the authority so granted. And so as Zach spoke last week about all authority in all nations, we see that social classes were built around inclusion and exclusion of who could be around the table with Jesus. But Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, and he even let Judas eat too. And so as we dig into the text in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, we see the fully inclusive nature of God on display. And so it reads, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So I picture the 11 disciples there on the mountain witnessing the, one of the greatest events in history. And I know that, um, you know, they were there worshiping God and I would be worshiping God too, knowing that he had come back and he had done all that he said that he was going to do. And that being there was such an honor and privilege, just being on that holy ground. But there's a moment that crept in and everything changed. You know, I think they showed up, you know, in fear. Because although God said he was going to do it, you know, when he actually does it, you're like, okay, wait, this is, this is actually happening. Or is this happening? Is it not? And so the doubt was natural. But over and over again, they had seen Jesus do miracles. They had seen him feed 4,000 men and 5,000 men. And they had seen him do incredible things, healing the lame, healing the sick. And still they doubted after God had been so faithful. I believe Jesus knew that their doubt didn't equate to unbelief. And to reiterate a point that was shared early in the series, doubt and faith are not mutually exclusive. But you know who's been there? Who's been there? Everything is going great and you're like, okay, like, when is the rug going to pull, be pulled out from underneath me? I don't know if y'all used to watch that MTV show, Punked, but like, you're like, okay, when is Ashton Kutcher like going to come out and, and tell me like this is all not really happening? And we think, you know, that we're not deserving of God's redeeming love his grace and his goodness. Because every day, you know, I fall short of the glory. So why would God continue to bless me over and over and over again? 
And so we let doubt creep in naturally. We make ourselves feel small, like we aren't enough. And we start looking at ourselves through the lens of what we've been through and we let that define us. But here is God, you know, shaking things up and telling us to go, go into healthy spaces, go into healthy relationships, surround ourselves with healthy people, make peace with our neighbors, make peace with our loved ones to go. And it's natural for us to doubt and to question. But the response to their doubt was for God to reiterate who he was and the power and authority that he has from dying on the cross for our sins. And so God being fully man and being fully God, he understands our feelings. He understands that we're going to hurt and we're going to have anger and we're going to be anxious and we're going to feel depression and many other things. But these feelings, they can't make us feel trapped and blocked from moving forward. And I think a part of the therefore go is kind of as you go, you know, as you go and get your healing, continue to trust in God and speak life over yourself so you can speak life over other people. As you go, share in what God has done for you. We don't have to have our story wrapped up in this pretty little neat bow. I think that's something that um, is just so in- unrealistic for, for what God is calling us to do and, and who we are and where we are. But if we do the work that God is calling us to do, even in our brokenness and even in our doubt, God is still going to bless us. And because of that, he can bless other people. And so we have to be continually reminded that the Great Commission is not about religious instruction. It's not about checking off boxes. It's not about completing task lists, but it's about living a life that follows the commands of Jesus. So what is God commanding and commissioning us to do? You see, the therefore go, it doesn't stand alone, but it's followed by and make disciples of all nations. If you love the Lord, then you'll keep his commands. In order to make disciples of nations, we have to love others the way that God has loved us. So in John um, 13, 35, the scripture says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. So I ask the question, what is God commissioning? and commanding us to do is to love our neighbor enough to share the things that are so treasured in our heart that in sharing those things, it will lead them to the extravagant love of Jesus. There's no special song or dance involved in this, but it does take a level of vulnerability. It does take a level of accepting who we are, where we are, and the things that God has placed in our lives, in our hearts for us to share in community with one another. And so we let people rally around us and we let the community of God do what God has commissioned us to do is to be faithful to one another and to love one another just as God has loved us. And so this is how you bring the church to people because there's a group of people who will never step foot into the community of the church, but they will step foot into your home. They will step foot into your life And this is the opportunity to therefore go, to go as you are and to allow them to see the light that is Jesus Christ shining through your situation, shining through your hardships, shining through the things that we will have to overcome 
because God is bigger than anything that we could ever think or imagine. And so in our faithfulness, this is where we share the good news. You know, if we think about it in terms of what we have to lose versus what we have to gain, it's easy. It's a no-brainer because it's abundantly clear that there's an urgency for people to know Jesus. As a community, God wants us to be a vine that bears fruit, that mirrors the justice and compassion that is embedded in the character of Jesus. Let me read that again. God wants us to be a vine that bears fruit, that mirrors the justice and compassion that is embedded in the character of Jesus. It should pour out of us onto our neighbor so that they can be blessed and they can be healed just as Jesus had done, has done for us and will do for us and will do for us over and over and over again. Just as Jesus met people where they are, we are challenged to do the same. We're challenged to step into their world. We're challenged to get to know who they are, what they stand on and what they believe in. No, like I said earlier, it doesn't mean that we have to accept or agree everything, but we can love them all the same, just as God has commissioned and called us to do. And through that, we have to believe that Jesus will do the rest, that he will do the rest through us, and that that light will shine so bright that people want to know what is it that you have inside of you that's giving you hope in what feels and what seems like there's so much darkness around you. I think that we have to be okay with being uncomfortable. Because if we're comfortable, it's going to limit the opportunity for us to share the good news with our neighbor and have actual movement because it's never going to be convenient or comfortable for us. And, and Matthew continues to make this point throughout his book that in order to be uncomfortable, we have, in order to affect change, we have to be uncomfortable. That means that we have to go in places that are foreign to us, not just physically, but emotionally. It's necessary for us to be image bearers of Jesus. So my ultimate challenge today is not to let life circumstances keep you from going, to keep you from loving your neighbor, to keep you from doing the thing that God has called you to do. That as we go, we remember that it's not about perfection, but it's about the inclusion of all of God's people and all of God's children, knowing that there's not limited to certain standards of, of, of what you've done or where you've been, but it's all about the power of Jesus and the authority that he gives us in dying on the cross. So even in, the, in our doubt, he gave us authority to go out and make disciples of all nations. And so right now, our challenge is just to multiply the extravagant, awesome, powerful, mighty name of Jesus by being vulnerable about who we are, what we've been through, and the way that Jesus has turned it around for our good. Amen. Amen. And thank God. Let us pray. God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to just go as we are and to just be comfortable in our brokenness, knowing that you would just heal our broken heart, knowing that we have victory in you. So Lord, we just pray for all those people that we would come in contact with, God. They would just see you through us. 
Lord, we pray that you would just continue to commission our hearts to go out and make disciples of all nations. Holding nothing back, leaving no one out. God, we just love you. We praise you. We honor you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.